Welcome to the podcast of the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled The Rapture of the Church from our series Ready or Not. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me today to the book of 1 Thessalonians today. 1 Thessalonians, and we're concluding a series this morning called Ready or Not. Say that with me. Ready or Not. And this morning we're talking about the rapture of the church. The time when Jesus comes again to take his people to be with him forever and ever. We just sang about it, right? Uh, We're going to sing and shout and rejoice here until you come again. But we are longing and watching and waiting for the day when he does come again. Amen? And he's promised us that he is coming again. Amen. You know, Jesus, there were many prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus' first coming. And he fulfilled every one of those prophecies. And the Bible is filled with twice as many prophecies about the second coming of Jesus as it held about the first coming of Jesus. And if he came the first time and fulfilled those prophecies, we can be sure that he will come again and fulfill all the rest. That's why Peter said we have a sure word of prophecy. It is going to happen. Amen? It's going to happen. People say, well, pastor, it's been so long. Preachers have preached this since the Lord ascended to heaven that Jesus is returning. And many people disbelieve that now. Well, that's one of the signs of his return. The Bible says in the last days there'll be scoffers who mock and say, where is the promise of his coming And that is one of the signs. The Lord warned us that he would delay his coming. Matthew 24, Matthew 25, over and over he says that. And he warns us to not let that delay catch us off guard. To not let that delay in his coming cause us to be unfaithful or to get weary in well-doing, or to let our love for God and our passion for Him grow cold. Amen? So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is where we're going to be looking in just a moment. If you haven't done it yet, I urge you to like the post, share the post on your own page, and tag a friend that you would like to watch the sermon with you this morning. Amen? Remind you, we are planning to return on campus next Sunday, August the 16th. We're planning on two contact-free services, 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. We're inviting our senior adults and those most at risk to consider the 9 o'clock service. And then we're inviting families with children especially to look at the 11 o'clock service as probably your better option because the kids' hall will be open in the 11 o'clock service. Nursery, preschool, and kids' church will be going on. Pastor Austin can't wait to see you guys. Miss Heather, all the team will be back there ready to take care of your family. Amen? We will be practicing social distancing. We will be taking temp checks at the door as a precaution. And we are urging the wearing of face masks unless there is a medical or health reason that would make that contraindicated for you. And if so, we understand that. We are in our fourth week of this series, final week of this series about the coming of the Lord Jesus called Ready or Not. Say that with me. Ready or Not. The first week we looked at Matthew 24 where Jesus told us that he's coming but he warned us what not to do. And he said even though he's coming and his coming is unexpected and perhaps very soon, he tells us that we should not panic, that we should not predict, but most importantly that we should not 
procrastinate. We shouldn't put off being prepared. Then the second week, we looked at Matthew 25, where Jesus gives us three parables that explain how to be ready for the coming of the Lord. What do we not do, and then what shall we do? Well, we should be waiting and watching and working. Those are the points of the three parables in Matthew 25. Last week, we talked about one of the biggest signs of the Lord's return mentioned in the New Testament, the great falling away, the fact that in the last days, many people would stop walking with the Lord Jesus and that they would be deceived and fall into lawless living and their hearts would not be prepared for the coming of the Lord. Amen. Last week, we read these words in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Notice he talks there about the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him. Notice that line, our gathering together to him. That is what we're talking about today. The day that he comes and gathers us unto himself. The Bible describes the coming of the Lord in sort of two stages. One, he comes in the clouds to gather his people unto himself. And then he comes to the earth to rest his foot on the Mount of Olives and to establish his kingdom and rule and reign on the earth. When Paul talks about our gathering together to to the Lord Jesus, he's referring to something he talked about in his first letter of the to the Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 13. That's the passage I asked you to turn to a moment ago, and I want you to look there and let's read together. Hear the word of the Lord. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Pause right there. The issue in 1 Thessalonians is this. The, the Christians who were alive and waiting on the coming of the Lord thought he would come during their lifetime. And as they began to get older and members of their congregation began to die, they got worried that the members of the church who had died would somehow miss out on the joy when Jesus returned. They would miss out on getting to meet the Lord and be part of his eternal kingdom. And so Paul writes to encourage them and assure them that whether we are alive in Christ or whether we have fallen asleep, and died in the faith, we will be okay when Jesus returns. Why? Verse 15 gives the answer. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. In other words, this has been revealed to him by God. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen. What Paul is describing is the rapture of the church. Say that with me. The rapture of the church. And that's the first thing I want you to notice. This next thing on God's timeline when he comes again for his people. Now, many people would argue that the word rapture is not in the Bible, and you would be correct. But I would answer back, there are quite a few words that we use today to talk about uh, 
principles in God's Word that are not exactly in the Bible. For instance, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the doctrine is. The word rapture is not in the Bible, but the doctrine is. The word rapture is simply the word for caught away, and that word is found in verse 17 of our text that we just read. Those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. There it is. Uh, the, the Greek word is harpazo. When the Bible was translated into Latin, the word was raptu, and we get the word rapture from that word. But it just means caught up. Say caught up. That's the rapture of the church when he comes to catch up his bride to catch us to be with him. Some Christians would argue that this will happen at the end of the great tribulation. Some Christians believe that uh, just as the children of Israel were kept safe in the land of Goshen and that while God rained down the plagues on Egypt and kept the children of Israel in Goshen safe, that will be the pattern that God's children, the church, will go through that tribulation period, but they'll be kept safe while God pours his wrath out on the unbelieving world. Some people believe that. There are others who believe that the church will be on earth for the first half of the tribulation, the three and a half years, and that the rapture will happen at the midpoint. Those are people who believe in a mid-tribulation rapture. Their argument is, 2 Thessalonians 2.3, says that our gathering together to the Lord will not happen until the son of the man of sin, the Antichrist, is revealed, and that will be during the tribulation. They also would say that the wrath of God doesn't really get poured out until halfway through the tribulation. The first three and a half years is the reign of the Antichrist. The second three and a half years, God really begins to pour out his wrath on those who've rejected his son and worshipped the beast. And they argue he's going to come and rescue his people at that midpoint. Those are people who believe in a mid-tribulation rapture. However, most believers in our movement have always held to a different position. Most Christians in the church of God and in Pentecostal and fundamentalist churches have always believed this, that the rapture will occur prior to or just at the very beginning of the tribulation as it begins. In fact, many of us believe it will be the event that triggers the beginning of the tribulation. People who believe this are called pre-tribbers, pre-tribulation rapture, amen? Now, pastor, which one of these is correct? Well, I'm going to go with pre, and if that doesn't happen, I'm going to go with mid, and if that doesn't happen, I'm going to hold on to the end, amen? Because maybe we should just be pan-tribulationists and understand it's all going to pan out the way God wants it to, and we'll figure out who's right along the journey somewhere. I'm sure hoping the pre-tribbers are right, amen? I want out on the first opportunity, and you do too. I believe there's good reason to believe in a pre-tribulation rapture if that's the position that you hold, and I'll unpack that for you in a moment. Most believers in our movement have held this position down through the years. They argue that the Antichrist may be revealed prior to the rapture, but he will not be able to take power until the church is removed. Why? Because in 2 Thessalonians 2, the Bible says there is something on the earth that restrains the Antichrist. Christ from being able to take power. And we would argue that what is that something? Well, Jesus said his church is the salt of the earth. Say that with me. The salt of the earth. The salt holds back the decay. It keeps the rot at bay. And I believe if the church is the salt of the earth, then that means the church is the one influence in the world that keeps evil pushed back and from overrunning the banks. If you want to see a world that would be going off the rails, you 
would imagine a world where all the church of Jesus was removed from it. Millions, billions of Christians who named the name of Jesus. And if they're all removed, what would happen to the world? Well, the decay would set in rather quickly. And that's why many would argue that. Someone on earth whose presence prevents the man of sin, the Antichrist from taking over, must be removed before he can take charge. And many believers would argue that someone is the church of the Lord Jesus and that through the church, the Holy Spirit keeps this Antichrist spirit subdued and pushed back. But if the church is taken out by Jesus, there would be no one left to restrain or withhold him from taking power. The reason many Christians believe the rapture will happen before the tribulation is simple. The Bible says that God has promised uh, that he will rescue his people and deliver them and they will not endure the wrath of God. The tribulation is the day of God's wrath. It is the day of the Lord when he pours out punishment on those who've rejected his son as their Lord and Master. And the Bible says that Christians will not endure God's wrath. We will be saved from wrath through the Lord Jesus. That was the promise in Romans 5 and 9, right? Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 10 that we wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus. Why do we wait for him? We wait for him because he delivers us from the wrath to come. That's why. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word salvation can be the saving of the soul. The word can also mean deliverance, as in delivering from that day of wrath. This seems to be in view in Luke 21, 36, when Jesus told Christians, they ought to watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Where is the Son of Man? He's in heaven. And so if we escape this day of wrath and stand before the Son of Man, it would mean that we're taken to heaven where he is. In Revelation 3.10, we're studying this on Wednesday nights and Wednesday night Sunday school. There's this promise made to the church there. And God tells the church at Philadelphia, he says, Because you've kept my promise to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Notice that. I will keep you from the hour of trial. The Greek word there is a little word ek. And it literally means out of. It's not keep you through. It's deliver you from. And so the promise seems to be here from Jesus that he will keep them from, he will take them out of uh, this time that will come on the face of the earth to try the hearts of men. If this is the case, then it means this. It means the coming of the Lord is imminent. It means that Jesus could return any time for his church. It means there are no signs that have left to be fulfilled before he comes again for his people because everything else predicted could happen after that event. Jesus describes his coming like the flood in the days of Noah. Listen to Matthew 24. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also 
will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. It sounds to me like Jesus is saying it's going to be sudden and quick and there's no warning. And the day of the Lord comes, Noah and God's people are delivered and the rest are caught up in the wrath and, uh, and punishment of God. Jesus warned us uh, a few verses later. He says, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Wow. So this is the doctrine of the imminent return of Jesus, that he's coming suddenly, unexpectedly. We often read the verse in Revelation where he says, Behold, I come quickly, and we interpret quickly to be soon. The, the import of the Greek word quickly is not when he's coming, but how he's coming. It's not that he's coming soon. It's that he's coming suddenly. He comes quickly. He comes and arrives, and he's there before you know it. It happens before you have time to prepare. He tells says, Paul says, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the trump of God. Jesus gives us parables to warn his coming may be delayed, but it will catch many unprepared when he does arrive. So this is the rapture of the church. Say the rapture. And then number two, notice the reward of the saints. What happens when the rapture takes place? Well, those, the, those who've died believing in Christ and those who are alive and are trusting and walking with Christ are all called up together to be with the Lord. And where do they go? Well, they go to heaven. They go to stand with the Lord Jesus in heaven. Not only do we believe that the church will escape the wrath of God, we also believe the church will receive the reward of Christ. Christ promised in John 14, 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Well, where is he talking about? Well, the first two verses tell you where he's talking about. He says, uh, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not true, I would have told you. So in other words, what Jesus says is, I'm going to come and receive you to myself and take you to my Father's house to the place that has been prepared for you. In other words, when the rapture takes place, God's people go to the Father's house in heaven and they are there during that next season. This is the promise. Now the picture here would have been clearly understood in Jesus' day. It is the picture of a Jewish wedding. Whenever they would have a Jewish wedding, the bride lived with her father and the groom loved to come and catch the bridal party unprepared and steal the bride away. He would often come in the middle of the night. Now as an act of courtesy, he wasn't required to, but normally he would send a messenger ahead of him and he would, they would shout in the streets, the bridegroom comes, go out to meet him. And that would awaken the people in the village and awaken the bride and the bridesmaids. And they would have their lamps trimmed and burning always in the window and they would take their lamp and they would prepare and they would go out to meet him. The bridegroom would come and steal the bride away. He would take the bride and he would go back to his father's house where he 
had added on a wing for them to live and to begin their married life together. Back at his father's house, they would celebrate the wedding and they would have the banquet, the marriage feast, and they would entertain guests for the next several days and they'd begin their life together. If this is the picture, then it becomes rather clear, doesn't it? The Lord Jesus comes to earth. This is where the bride lives and he will catch the bride away and he will take the bride to his father's house and we will be wed to Jesus and enjoy the marriage banquet of the Lamb, this banquet called the joy of the Lord in all the parables, and we will receive that reward we've been waiting for to celebrate the marriage supper. While God is pouring out his wrath on earth, the saints are enjoying the joy of their Lord in heaven. During that time, believers will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The Greek word is the word bema. It's a different word than the word for the white throne in Revelation. The white throne judgment is people to determine whether or not they're lost or saved, depending on how they responded during that tribulation. But the bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, is not to determine if you're saved or lost. If you go in the rapture, you're obviously saved. What is this judgment about? Well, it is about determining the reward for your faithfulness to Christ on the earth. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.12, Paul warns them, If anyone builds on this foundation of Christ using gold, silver, and costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If, it has been, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. As you can see, the judgment seat of Christ is not to determine whether we're saved or lost. Everyone there is saved. The question is, will Will you receive reward or not? Will you find that, the, that Jesus is pleased with the way you lived your life from the moment you met him until the time he came to bring you into his presence? There's a reward for those who faithfully serve the Lord. John tells us we should live in such a way that we would be unashamed at his coming. Second Peter says that some Christians will receive an abundant entrance. And others, we read in 1 Corinthians, will come with a smell of smoke. They'll barely make it through. They'll be saved, but they'll have nothing really to show. Now, I've heard some people who say, Oh, pastor, just so I make it to heaven, I won't really care if I have a reward or not. Heaven is enough for me. Uh, I hope you don't believe that because it isn't true. Because I can promise you that when everyone else is casting their crowns at the feet of Jesus, you're going to want something to present him as an act of worship. And when everyone else is gathered around, while they're inspecting your life and Jesus is pronouncing judgment on you, you want him to celebrate the good things that you did because you loved him and were faithful to him. The Bible tells us we're destined to rule and reign with Christ. Paul reminds the Corinthians they will judge angels. The degree of authority and service we are assigned in the millennial reign of Jesus, the degree of honor and glory we share for eternity is dependent on how faithful we are right now. So what you're doing now will matter forever. 
So you need to be careful. The fact of the coming judgment for Christians ought to inspire us to walk in the fear of the Lord, to be clear-minded and self-controlled, to watch and pray, to live holy, godly lives, to show mercy and kindness to everyone around us as often as we can. Why? Because Jesus says that whatever we've done in secret will be shouted from the housetop one day and the things done in private will be made very public. And if you don't want to be ashamed at his coming, then you better live now like you're going to hope you'd lived then because there will be a day when everything in the darkness is brought to the light. And if that scares you, then do better because it ought to scare you just a little bit. Walking in the fear of the Lord is a healthy thing for the people of God because there's nothing secret that Jesus said won't be revealed. So live right. And if you're not, get started because you're going to wish you had one day. And more importantly than that, you're going to want to receive the reward and hear the well done of your Savior because of your investment in the kingdom. Well, if Christ's church is enjoying heaven and receiving reward, what will be happening on earth? And this is what we'll close with today. The final point is this, God's wrath on the world. So you've got, you know, the rapture of the church, you've got the reward of the Christian, and then you've got God's wrath on the world. While we're enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb and being rewarded for faithful service, the world will be enduring a season called the Great Tribulation. In Revelation chapter 6 through 18, we get a picture of what life will be like on the earth. The Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are replaced down here by a rather unholy trinity called the beast, the antichrist, and the false prophet. The antichrist, the Bible says, will require all people, small and great, to worship his image, to swear allegiance to him, and to receive a mark without which they are not permitted to buy, sell, or transact any business. Those who worship the antichrist and receive his mark will seal their fate and condemn their souls at the coming of the Lord. Those who choose during this tribulation time to turn from sin and trust Christ and follow him faithfully, and there will be some, according to Revelation, they will reject the mark and reject the Antichrist, and as a result will be persecuted and executed for their refusal to worship the beast. During this time, God pours out his wrath on the world that rejected his son. Seven seals are broken, each one unfolding a new chapter of human history. Seven trumpets sound, and each one of those by God's archangel revealing another round of judgment on the earth. Seven bowls or vials of wrath are poured out on the people on earth as God punishes those who've rejected his son and chosen to follow the Antichrist. God brings the time of the Gentiles to a close. He turns his attention to Israel and he comes back with his church to destroy the Antichrist with the brightness of his coming and to rule on the earth for a thousand years. If our understanding of the way these things play out is correct, if Jesus is indeed coming to rescue his church before this terrible season, you want to be ready and you want to be included in that number. As we used to sing when I was a child growing up, when the saints go marching in, oh Lord, I want to be in that number. And so do you. We want to be in that group. We close where we began today. Hear the promise of the Lord. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. 
This is a comfort to the people of God. Friends, this is what the Bible says is just ahead for the world we live in. Don't believe the lie that things will continue as they are forever. Don't buy into the deception that history's just running in circles. No, no. History's not just running in circles. History is going somewhere. And God will bring the story of human events to their appointed destination one day. And Jesus will return. And every kingdom will bow and fall before him. And he will be king of kings and lord of lords. And he will reign on the earth with his people. But before he comes with his church to reign in power, he is coming for his church to receive them unto himself. And the, the big question of the hour is not when is he coming and who's right about the timing of all that. That's not the question. The question is very personal. The question is not eschatological. The question is not a prophetic question. The question is a personal question. The question is, are you ready? Are you prepared? Whenever he comes again, will that moment catch you off guard? Or are you ready for the coming of the Lord? 1 Thessalonians 5, the verses after the ones we just read. Paul says, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you. For you know well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But notice this last line. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. The thief only catches you by surprise if you're not watching for him. The Bible tells Christians we ought not be lulled asleep by the world. Instead, we should be keeping watch because we know that the Lord's return is near. It is at hand. It is even at the door, the Bible says. So I ask you today, Jesus is coming. Are you ready for his return? Are you prepared? If not, you need to be and you can be. And the way you get prepared is to get your heart right with the Lord Jesus. Pastor, how would I do that? Well, you trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You invite him to come into your life. And that's as simple as A, B, C. Number one, you admit your sin. You admit that you are a sinner and you need a Savior. Number two, the letter B, you believe on the Lord Jesus. Not just in your head, but you trust in your heart that when Jesus died and rose again on Calvary, it was enough to pay the price for your sin. And his resurrection power is able to set you free from your old bondage and and. and, 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 and captivation and slavery to the sins of your past. He can set you free today. And you believe and trust that he can. And you invite him to do that. And then the C is for commit. You commit your life to Christ. Lord, for the rest of my days, as long as you give me, I will follow you. I will serve you. I will live for you with all the grace you give. Have you ever done that? If not, that's the way you begin this relationship with Christ. Admit, believe, commit to Christ. Maybe you're here and you once walked closely with the Lord, but you are like those I preached about last week. You've drifted away. Your love has grown cold. As the Laodiceans, you've gotten lukewarm in your walk with God, and you need to return to a passionate, devoted relationship with Jesus. You can do that today as well. What do you do? Well, he tells the Laodiceans, remember the height from which you've fallen. Look back and realize that you're not as close to God as you used to be. Then he said, repent. Ask God to forgive you. Remedy that. 
Stop doing the things that pull you away. And then he said, redo, redo, return, redo. Do your first works over. In other words, start doing the things you used to do when you first trusted Jesus. Like faithfully reading his word and spending time in prayer and attending services of worship and serving in his house. Continue, return to doing those things. And if you do, he'll receive you and he'll reignite the passion of your heart and you can be ready for the coming of the Lord. Maybe you need to pray with someone today. There's a pastor on call number 251-345-1700. And if you'll call that number, someone would love to pray with you today. I want to pray with you now as Pastor Chad comes and leads us this morning. We're going to close with a, just a little chorus of worship, something that he leads us in singing today. But as we prepare to close, I want to invite you to pray with me today. And maybe even before you call that pastor on call number, maybe you just need to take a moment in the stillness of your living room where you're sitting to get things right with God. Maybe this morning was divinely appointed for you. Maybe you're one of those people who would be too embarrassed to publicly take the step if you were in this building of walking down to the altar and kneeling. But maybe where you sit this morning, in the comfort of your own home, in the privacy of your own space, you are willing to bow your heart to the Lord Jesus. Could I invite you to do that? Would you take a moment and would you pray with me? You don't have to repeat my words, just make them your own words and cry out to the Lord to rescue you today. Would you pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray today. Lord, for those who need to be saved and rescued from the wrath to come, who need to be ready for the coming of the Lord, I pray today that, Lord, number one, they admit, Father, lead their heart right now just to admit before you, to admit that they are a sinner, to admit they've broken your heart and broken your commandments, to confess the ways that they know they've done that, and to cry out for your forgiveness over the ways they aren't even aware of, that they've fallen short of your righteous standard and your glory. Lord, I pray today that in this moment you'd fill their heart with faith, they'd understand and embrace the gospel, and that this morning while we pray, they would open their mouths and say, Lord, I do admit I'm a sinner, but more importantly, I believe that your son died and rose again for me. And I put all my hope, faith, confidence, trust in his death and resurrection. I trust the blood of Jesus. I trust the cross. I trust his sacrifice, his life given for me. I trust and hope in his resurrection today to not only forgive me from sin, but to free me from its power, to give me a new life, to deliver me from bondage and slavery to the wicked one. Lord, I ask you, Jesus, to set me free and save me this morning. Father, I pray that they will express their commitment to you and, and just offer their lives and say, Lord, if you will save me, if you will take me and bring me into your family, I will serve faithfully in your house and I'll walk with you just as close as I know how from today forward. Lord, I pray for those that are backslidden or lukewarm today that they too would cry out to you, that they would remember how that they once were so close to Christ and passionately devoted to God, but now they're not. And that, Lord, that awareness would grip them and it would shake them awake. Lord, I pray this morning they'd repent of that and that in their heart they would return to Christ, return to their first love, return and begin to do again the works they did at first walking with you closely, serving you faithfully. Lord, we ask you, draw our hearts up close to you. As we take a moment and lift our voices in a song of praise to your name, I pray that anybody watching who just needs to take a few moments and do business with God while we sing, they just lift up their heart. And Lord, I pray that you would meet them there in Jesus' name. Amen.
and amen. You pray to the Lord as Pastor Chad leads us. Let's sing to the Lord. Let's sing this chorus again. King of glory. King of glory. Fill this place. I just want to be with you. Just want to be with you. King of glory, fill this place. I just want to be with you. Just want to be with you. But one more time, say, King, King of I just, just want to be, be with you, yeah. King of glory, fill this place. I just want to be with you, just want to be with you. Lord, I pray that you would seal to our hearts every decision made this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you're a first-time guest and you've joined us online today, we would love to connect with you. There's a couple ways you can do that. One is by simply texting the word NEW to a phone number. And if you text the word NEW to the number on the screen, you will get a little link there where you can give us your contact information. And we'll touch back with you this week. We would love for you to let us know that if you've trusted Christ or if you've returned to a walk with Christ that you once had in the past. We would love to send you some resources to help you to walk with Him better and more faithfully. Maybe you'd like to connect with us on our website. Our church website is forresthillcog.org. There's a digital connect card there. There's also a way for you to be able to continue to support your church through your giving. Some of you are giving that way. Some of you are text giving. Many of you are just taking a tithe envelope and dropping that in the mailbox at the office. We appreciate your faithful, continued support of the church. And we do look forward to seeing you, as many as are ready to return to campus, to be on campus with us next Lord's Day. Maybe you are uh, not comfortable returning yet. That's okay as well. Both of our services will be live streamed on Facebook Live next Sunday and then uploaded to our YouTube channel. So whether you gather with us in person or whether you join us from home, we look forward to worshiping with you again next Sunday. Remember, Wednesday night is midweek with Pastor. You can join us for uh, teaching from God's Word, 7 o'clock. Uh, kids, youth, college, different studies will be going on on Wednesday. Uh, just join us on Facebook and you can find out all about the various offerings that we have. But maybe today you just need to pray with someone. Don't forget that pastor on call number. It's your way to reach us anytime that you would need someone to pray. 251-345-1700. Amen. Would you receive this benediction before we go? And if the Lord comes before next Sunday, I'll see you around the throne. And if not, I'll see you around this altar worshiping Jesus. Would you receive this blessing? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and grant you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. 
For more information on what's happening at the Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.